My name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I want to talk with you today about the Training Day podcast. That's right, the Training Day podcast. The Training Day podcast exists to continue your learning so that you can be equipped for every good work in every day life. Our hope with the Training Day podcast is to create a resource library for you, your friends, your family, uh, whether you've been a believer for many years, new to the faith, or not a Christian at all. We're hoping that this will be a resource library for you so that you can learn what it looks like to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and land it in everyday life. So we want you to subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, The Training Day Podcast, or our website, trainingdaypod.com. So please go subscribe and let's grow together in Christ. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. My name is David Patton. I am one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church, and it is my joy and my pleasure to be standing before you today preaching the perfect, inerrant, and holy Word of God. May He add His blessing to it this morning. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever asked the wrong question? Let me me jog your memory because I know each of us have asked the wrong question before. Have you ever been sitting in the back of the station wagon as you're driving to vacation and you ask that that one question? It's the same question that kids ask today that, uh, that you asked before. It's, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Many a minivan has swerved off of the road when that question was asked. But, the, but, but I want to know, why is that question so uh, offensive? Maybe it's because the child doesn't know what it took to plan the vacation, pay for the vacation, pack for the vacation. Maybe they don't know what was all in getting it prepared. Or maybe it's because they're bored out of their mind and can't see past the here and now towards the glory to come, which is the beach and the ocean and the sandcastles and all that come that come with it. It's the wrong question because it's obvious to everyone else in the minivan that we are not, in fact, there yet. So, what if one day there's a a small voice, it's meek and mild, from the back of the van, a, 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 a obedient child says, Dad, will the joy to come during the beach vacation outweigh the cost of this eight hour road trip? Dad's vein would would simmer back down in his neck. His eyes would not bulge, but they would gloss over as he tells this wonderful child about the glories to come as they walk on the beach, search for uh, seashells, as they go eat shrimp and all the glorious things at the beach. And, And 
also invite them to enjoy the thoughts to come and the comfort that knows that that beach trip is not far away. Well, here in chapter 7, Paul is beginning to address questions from the back seat. He's addressing the questions from the Corinthian church. We know that because in verse 1 he says, Now concerning the matters of which you wrote. In a quick skim of the chapter, we see Paul addressed questions about singles, married, slaves, circumcised, widows, and betrothed Christians. Um, How should they behave due to their new Christian faith? Do they put off their previous societal conditions because of their new identity in Christ? Should a single marry? Should a married divorce? Is it okay for to divorce? Is it okay for a slave to leave his master? Should a man be uncircumcised who was previously circumcised? The problem is they're asking the wrong questions. But Paul is answering them for sure. His answers are absolutely to the specific questions that were posed. If you're married, he says, I'm sorry, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. If you're a slave, do not seek to be free. If you're circumcised, don't seek to be uncircumcised. But with a closer reading of his words, there is much more that he's saying. Like a good spiritual father, like a kind dad, he wants to instruct his children to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But also like a good father, he's taking their wrong questions and giving them the right answer. He says in verse 17, he wants them to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them. To the Christian, God has called you to faith, but more so in this chapter, Paul is saying that God has called you to the societal conditions that you find yourself in and from whence you were saved. He says, lead a life that the Lord has assigned to you by, verse 26, remaining as he is. Remain as you are. He says, don't seek to put off your commitments. Don't seek to put off your occupation or your relationship status due to faith in Christ. Remain as you are. Also, he's saying, as Pastor Kirk mentioned last week, don't obsess over the temporal and the temporary. Don't obsess over the here and now by seeking to gain status or indulge in the comforts. Our focus should be on the Lord and finding joy and contentment in Him. And this leads to freedom from anxieties. Verse 32, free from anxieties. Be free from worldly concern. Paul wants for them. If you want to be content where you are and find your ultimate joy in the Lord, then the treasures of this world must become less shiny. See, this is where he really gets into his dad mode. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Do you want to be free this morning? Do you want to be free this morning? Do you, do you want your children to be free this morning? Good, good. Paul's concern is not for the singles to, to marry or even the slaves to be free, but rather that these circumstances would not preoccupy their hearts, that they would be free. And in verse 35, he goes on to say that they would have undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Paul says he is writing to them in order that they would secure an undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the pinnacle of his concern for them. He knew that this is the calling of the Christian, single and devoted, married and devoted, slave and devoted, 100% devoted to the Lord. And it is this devotion that produces our long-lasting, everlasting joy, joy in Christ. Do you want this joy this morning? Amen. The problem is that we want joy, but our hearts are fickle, aren't they? Our hearts want what they can't have. Instead of being content in our circumstances, we are discontent and we have unmet expectations which lead to depression and anxiety and a total loss of joy. So let's do this. Let's ask the right question this morning, okay? Not the wrong question, but the right. The right question is, how can I find joy in the present while staying focused on the future return of Christ? Please write this down as this answer to the right question is going to be our focus today. Write this down. It says, only joy in the Lord produced by devotion to the Lord will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Only joy in the Lord produced by devotion to the Lord will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Let's, let's go ahead and dive in where we left off last week. This is verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He starts this section off with a continuation of the theme from, from the previous part of the chapter. His heart is for the, his spiritual children, those who he left in Corinth as he continued around the Mediterranean on his missionary journey. He wants them to be free, not chained or constrained, but free. The word here for anxiety in the Greek means free from care. So it's a little bit lesser in extreme as, than, than we think of the word anxiety. Basically, free from care, or in this context, free from worldly cares and distractions. Here Paul is putting an exclamation point on the, the thought through this chapter 7. Who has ever told you to stay in the social and economic circumstances uh, in which you find yourself? Who has ever told you to remain as you are? Who has ever told you to lose focus of yourself? Well, nobody, right? Well, that doesn't sell books and it doesn't pack seats in a, an auditorium, does it? Uh, but Paul is saying that to us today. Let's jog back through the chapter just one more time real quick. He says, if you are single, contentment is not found in a spouse. If you are married, contentment is not found in divorce. Uh, today is not about the debate between the advantages and disadvantages of singleness and marriage. No, the word today is only joy in the Lord, produced by devotion to the Lord. Only that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And again, do you want joy this morning? Do you want peace this morning? Paul says, be free then of worldly cares. Be free from the grip of keeping up with the Jones and the weight that that places on you. Be free from worldly care. Why? Because it's a thief and it robs you of joy. And I'll prove it to you. How many of you in here own an iPhone? Raise your hand. How many own an iPhone? How many of you have at one point owned an iPhone 6? iPhone 6? Okay. The iPhone 6 was 
awesome. It was bigger, better, faster, and stronger than the iPhone 4, right? You, you threw that iPhone 4 in the trash because you got an iPhone 6. iPhone 6, everybody? How'd you feel about your iPhone 6 when the iPhone 8 came out? You, you, threw it, you threw it in the trash. We are, listen, listen, we are taught to be discontent. Our hearts love to be discontent. The ruler of the world, Satan, longs for you to be discontent. He wants to, you to fight and to claw and to struggle in this world, to gain and gather all that you can purchase of this world that rust and moth destroys. That's why people have a midlife crisis. Essentially, they work hard to gain something that is unattainable. And when faced with unmet expectations, they spiral into despair. Paul says he wants us to be free from anxiety. And he illustrates this by answering those wrong questions that were sent to him from Corinth. Let's, let's move on in verse 32. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is, is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So here again, we have this word anxious. Even, even in, in preparing for this, I was, I was saying to, to Lindsay, why is he using the same word? Why should we be anxious for the Lord, yet also anxious for things of this world, world for our husband or for our wife. Um, it, it's the way that he is using this word anxious. Uh, when he's using it for the Lord, he means cares for the things of the, the, the Lord. When he's talking about being anxious for our wife, how to please our wife, how to please our husband, he's talking about distracted by how to please our wife and please our husband. Though Though that is absolutely what we're called, but when we're talking to it about uh, being devoted to the Lord, these can often be a distraction. So listen, again, Paul is addressing the topic of singleness and marriage, not giving a total theology. Chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians is not a total theology of marriage. Yet he's answering these questions that are written to him, and in answering them, he's addressing their questions, but most importantly, he's addressing their heart. Oh, to be wholly concerned about the things of the Lord, says Paul, who is a prime example and a wonderful example of the wholeness of single Christian life. It's as if he says, do not desire to lay upon yourself the encumbrance of marriage. Celibacy and singleness are beautiful gifts of the Lord to be desired and praised, said Paul. To, be un to the unmarried man, Paul says, his cares are for how to please the Lord and likewise to the unmarried woman, how to be holy in body and spirit. So, so what I want to do today is address singleness and marriage, but I want to do so in, in the context of what Paul is trying to do here talking about joy. So for each singleness and marriage, I, I, I have a, a list of of encouragements and also a list of warnings. So I'm going to roll through those right now. The first encouragement to singleness, it says, singleness requires joy in the Lord produced by devotion to the Lord to satisfy the longings of your heart. Singleness is promoted by Paul, but not as morally superior, but is preferred so that one's concern can be holy for the Lord. 
It's not that the unmarried do not have problems and concerns. That is not what he's saying. Yet it is that Paul sees a spouse as a necessary division of one's time, energy, and concern that one who is like himself does not have to accommodate. While desiring a spouse is not bad. Desiring a spouse is not wrong. The desire you feel or may feel in your heart to share your life with another is not wrong. Don't hear me say that at all, but please listen. He says, don't forego joy today in the life God has called you to. Don't place the attainment of a spouse as the pinnacle of your life as if it represents somehow that uh, uh, somehow a life that is not fully realized today. Paul says that the single is anxious for the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Due to this, time in devotion, time in prayer, time in service can simply look different. Which leads me to my next point. Being unencumbered for ministry multiplies your gospel reach. As our joy in the Lord grows, it will naturally overflow. And as we overflow, the desire to share the good news grows. And Paul shows us that through his life and ministry, it is unfettered by a spouse. He can go and come as he pleases. He can serve to near death without the encumbrance, without the fetter of a spouse. Being unburdened by the needs of a spouse can free you to serve and to love the Lord as he has equipped you. Without the encumbrances of a spouse, you are free to live a life that God has called you to of service and devotion to the Lord. Are are you called to missions in India? Are you called to serve hurting families right here in our very church? You are not encumbered by the needs of a spouse. You are free to love, free to serve, and free to follow Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, now two, two warnings, two things to think about. Uh, do not promote singleness as a higher uh, position of enlightenment. Paul says repeatedly that marriage is not sinful. We know this because it was instituted by God in Genesis 2. It also does not mean that you are weak if you, if you marry and if you need a man or a woman to help you function. I'm sorry, as if you need a man or a woman to help you function. I'm sorry. Uh, so be careful not to shoo away the blessings of the Lord. It's easy to become set in our ways. It's easy to become comfortable in the routines that we have created and that any disruption to them is seen as a negative. Paul says, don't seek to be married or uh, obsess over finding a spouse, but at the same time, remaining open to the Lord's timing and his plan for your life. Second, Do not demote singleness as a position of shame. Your life has purpose and meaning. This is not gained by a spouse. It is only gained by devotion to Christ and what he has done in you and for you on the cross. Do not miss the present joy in your life that Christ supplies because your focus is on your future where you see yourself as more content. Don't miss your life now for a future that you see as your life as more content. Let me say it this way. Don't devalue your life. 
You are whole and complete and fully loved by God without a spouse. Please do not discount that or lay upon yourself a banner of shame or incompleteness. To do that would devalue what Jesus has called you to and the blood of Jesus that has bought you. Fight for your joy in the Lord. A word to the marriage. A few encouragements. Husband, please your wife. Wife, please your husband. That's what he says in the text. He says a husband is anxious for the things of the world, how to please his wife, and likewise a wife to please her husband. Uh, We can see in uh, verse 34, it says that. uh, But what does this mean to please one's spouse? Well, I I would say spiritually that would mean that the husband plays the Christ role in the relationship. He, He... serves and loves and dies to his wife in the same way that Christ died for the church. He, he, he gives all, he leads and loves his family as Christ leads and loves us. Oh, and the wife plays the Christ role in the church as she, as Ephesians 5 says, submits to her husband as to the Lord. She submits to him because she is wholly devoted to Christ and plays the Christ role in the marriage Uh, Number two, your spouse is built in accountability. Wives, you can minister to your husband and be accountability to him like no one else. That doesn't mean he doesn't need friends outside of this relationship, but it does mean no one on earth can minister to him in the same way that you can because you know the things about him that no one else knows. You know the things about him that get to him in in, in ways that nothing else can. And you specifically have a voice in his ear that can build him up and and also that can crush him. You are his built-in accountability. Same way for the husband. Be the emotional and spiritual leader of your home. It's this intimacy that spouses have that you're able to minister to each other the most Uh, Third, your spouse is your built-in ministry partner. You can either be active ministry partners. When Lindsay and I counsel, we counsel together. um, That is active ministry partners, but there's also a supporting role. As Lindsay goes out to counsel with a woman, I'm playing a supporting role as I'm caring for our children at home in the same way as I'm spending a week or two weeks preparing for a sermon. She is playing a supporting uh, ministry role at home, taking care of the things at home so I can devote myself to preparation. Uh, Just two warnings. Uh, Marriage can be weakness multiplied. Listen to this. If your wife is sick, you're sick. If your husband is sick, if he is down, if he is hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, you as well are weakened by that sickness, by that pain, by that hurt, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional. You are one, and when one is down, the other is down with them, which points back to the uh, being able to build one another up. Number two, don't place upon your spouse what only God can do. Your spouse cannot save you. Your spouse cannot save you. When you place on them the hope that they will draw you out of your sin or make right your past, you're placing on them a weight that only Jesus can fulfill. 
Your expectations will destroy your relationship. And why? Because your spouse can't do what only God can do. Listen to this. Likewise, your spouse is a sinner just like you. Don't place on them expectations of expect, <laughs> expectations of perfection that only Jesus can fulfill. When I say just like you, I mean Look in the mirror and see your desperate need for a Savior. And here's what you do when you see your desperate need for a Savior. You run to that Savior. You find joy in that Savior. You devote your life to that Savior so that that joy will overflow onto your spouse. That grace, that forgiveness will overflow onto your spouse. Let's move on. Verse 35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion. There he said it. Why did he say everything he has about marriage and singleness and sex and circumcision and slavery, but to promote good order and to secure, you say it with me, undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, Why is this sermon not ultimately about marital status? Because it's about your joy. It's about your joy. And how do we arrive at your joy? Undivided devotion to the Lord. And this is for your benefit. You who are single, I want your joy. You who are married, I want your joy. You who are divorced or widowed, we want your joy. And that's only through Undivided devotion to the Lord. Two quick things about devotion. One, devotion to the Lord is love manifested. It is love that naturally overflows into action. It's not merely emotionless, intellectual assent towards God. No, devotion involves action. It involves obedience. Paul himself was devoted to the Lord as he traveled around the Mediterranean over and over, giving his life over to shipwreck, famine, beating, uh, mocking, shame. He gave his life over to the Lord because he was devoted to the Lord, because he loved the Lord. His love was manifest in his actions. Number two, devotion to the Lord is ever-growing. If you blow up a balloon, it's full, but you can always add more air. Uh, We can add uh, more love to the Lord and more devotion to the Lord. Um, In fact, right now, if, if you are feeling a desire if you're feeling a desire for more filling, you are devoted to the Lord. It, it's actually when we are not feeling that desire that we are not being devoted to the Lord. Are you in a dry season spiritually right now? Here's an important question. Do you feel a yearning to draw back to Christ? If so, let the light guide you back into his arms Pray for a filling of the Spirit with joy. Pray for your love and devotion to grow. If on the other hand, you can't see the light, if there is no light, if there is no desire to draw near to the Lord, please, please talk to me. Talk to me at the end of the service. Talk to one of our pastors. Don't leave here this morning as dead as you came in. The psalmist David writes, in Psalm 16, 11, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. John Piper told a story one time. He said, if you find for me 
a joy that is fuller than fullness. If you find for me a pleasure that's longer lasting than forevermore, I'll leave the Christian faith today. The problem is there's none out there. There, There's none out there. All joy outside of faith and devotion to the Lord is fleeting and failing. It it, it dissolves by rust and it's eaten up by moths. You'll be buried with nothing in your casket that the world has provided you. Don't leave here today as dead as you came in. Let's, let's roll through the rest pretty quick. If, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly to the, toward the Lord, this is verse 36. If his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, then let them marry. It is no sin. Again, this is not a, a total theology on marriage. We don't just marry because we can't reign in our passions. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage does, will do even better. Again, Paul is affirming the moral neutrality of marriage. It is not sinful to marry, and it is not bonus points either. As he continues to go back to this point throughout the chapter that it is no sin to marry, it gives, I believe, an insight to the questions that have been asked. Basically, questions of rightness, righteousness. Am I right to marry? Am I more righteous if I marry? Am I more righteous if I'm single? Am I more righteous if I'm a freed man? Am I more righteous if I divorce this unbeliever? Again, Paul is telling you not to concern yourself with worldly cares. What they're talking about is their societal conditions, their worldly cares. And he says, stop worrying about that. What you should be worried about is your joy in the Lord and devotion to him. Verse 39 and they'll be out of your hair. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I too think that I have the spirit of God, the understatement of the year. Uh, Paul's last and final plea is to the widow. He reminds his readers that marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship that is meant for life. However, when a spouse dies, the widower is free to remarry. And he adds, only in the Lord, which means remarry a Christian, remarry a believer, remarry someone that you can be equally yoked to. If you were married, remain as such. Don't seek a divorce. Don't romanticize greener pastures or fantasize about the perfect spouse. And if your spouse passes, he says to remain single is not a sin. In fact, it's preferred. Um, it's preferred because you can lead a life unencumbered by the anxiety of pleasing your spouse. It's almost as Paul draws to a close of the chapter. He's covering all of his bases uh, for the readers. If you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. Those are to your benefit. And it is no sin to stay married, uh, though it has responsibility and weight. If you're married, don't divorce. But also if a spouse dies, it is not a sin to remarry. Essentially, he says, I wish you would be free from worldly cares. 
because to be free from worldly cares is to have undivided devotion to the Lord. And undivided devotion to the Lord is what produces joy. It produces joy because we know that we do not have a God who is unsympathetic to us. As he took on flesh and lived among us, he lived a life that we could not live. And as he hung on the cross, he died a death in our place, in your place, and for our sins. He understood the blessing of singleness as well as the pain of being alone. And he gave himself in death to you as your bridegroom. In an eternal act of sacrifice and love, Christ's death promises an eternity united to him. You are more loved by Christ than you could ever be by a spouse here on earth. Pray for contentment in the life that God has called you to. Pray that you can maximize each day to the glory of God and the expansion of your devotion. He understood the blessing of marriage and its struggles. This union was created by God in the garden and has been utilized throughout history for optimal human flourishing. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he was dying for the married. He took on his cross your sins and the sins of your spouse. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Do you actively live like that? You don't have to punish your spouse for their sins. By dying for both of you, Jesus leveled the ground at the foot of the cross. When he united two sinners together, he knew that his grace would be sufficient for each of you. And I'm saying that both of you must dive deep into your devotion to the Lord. Husband, you cannot properly love your wife as Christ loved the church unless you were devoted to Christ who gave himself up for her. And wives, you cannot submit to your husband unless you submit to Christ in undivided devotion to him. Last, he understood the pain that some of you may feel right now. Maybe your marriage has been a train wreck. Maybe you have told yourself that you are just staying together for the kids. Maybe you have mulled over what life would look like if you were not married to your spouse anymore. And I want you to know that Christ died specifically for you. Our Savior loved when he was not loved back. His service was met with despise. He was rejected and nailed to the cross and hung for hours in shame. Yet in death, he says, I know your pain and I'm staying. And Christ stayed. He didn't leave the cross because he was not treated fairly. But Christ stayed on the cross for the joy set before him. And you can have this joy too. And you can have it in burying yourself in the arms of your Savior who stayed for you. So the question is not, are we there yet? Because it's abundantly clear that we're not. The question is, how can we find in the present, joy in the present while staying focused on the future? And the answer is only joy in the Lord, produced by devotion to the Lord, can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Let's pray. Father God, I plead with you for the joy of Gospel Community Church. 
I plead with you that our joy would not be found in contentment for worldly things, but we would be willing day by day to die to the things of this world that we may have life and have it abundantly in you. Would you bless the leaders of this church that they would be chief among those who crawl to your cross, that we would be in joy and in repentance leading your flock, leading your church in such a manner. Lord, we need your supernatural strength for this. We need you to pour out your spirit on us that would call us to repentance, that would call us to joy, that would call us to a life devoted to you and that we would give all in your service and in your praise. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.